Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast once again. We have a very special presentation today, uh, or interview, I should say. Uh, We are blessed to have with us Professor Gregory Schulz, who uh, has been a pastor for 40 years, but also is a professor of philosophy at Concordia University, which is a Lutheran school in the Missouri Synod. So we're going to talk about Lutheran stuff today. We don't normally do that, I know, but it's important to talk about all the different denominations that are facing the social justice threat, and Lutheranism certainly is not exempt from that. Uh, Professor Scholz also uh, served in the Civil Air Patrol for 22 years, doing uh, including missions like search and rescue missions. And he's the author of a book uh, on the problem of suffering. And you can find out more about him at lutheranphilosopher.com. That's lutheranphilosopher.com. Thank you so much for joining me, uh, Professor Scholz. Thank you, John. The privilege is mine. So I want to start uh, at the beginning, I guess, that uh, you sent me an article. I'd actually already seen it from The Federalist by Joy Pullman on March 7th. And it starts off with you being locked out of your cl- classes and your email account at Concordia University. And it is related to your pushback against the social justice movement. So um, I'd like to start off with a pretty basic question for you. Were you expecting that when you started pushing back? Well, thanks for asking. I think in retrospect, I should have been expecting it. Um, I suppose, you know, even in our prayers and so forth, if we're aware of it and we're asking the Lord for guidance, um, the sort of thing doesn't uh, really sink in until it actually does happen. So uh, the the rough outline was that um, back on uh, Valentine's Day, actually, a, a high high church festival uh, for us. Uh, back on Valentine's Day, I had published an article in Christian News, which is a, a national, somewhat international paper for rank and file members, especially in the Lutheran Church. Uh, the title of the article is Woke Dysphoria at Concordia. Um, so dysphoria, as you know, is just a, a kind of a fancier term for restlessness. Now, what I noted in the article is what I had been seeing uh, with my students and uh, my university in Mequon, Wisconsin, that there was a growing unrest or uh, a disquiet, which I would say was due to, uh, I'm calling it wokeism for short, but I think you were right to introduce some of the synonyms for that. We'd be talking about um, liberation theology. Um, Also, this could be called uh, cultural communism and uh, social justice movement. But under that umbrella of wokeism, um, which we can talk about some more, I noted that uh, my students were being, uh, I guess I'm going to say troubled in their consciences over some things that were being promoted by the university, some things that were being taught in isolated classes. And I issued um, this publication, Woke Dysphoria at Concordia, as a combination of uh, one professor's reflection on how uh, very bad this was, but also uh, being a pastor, I'd like to think that it was a a writing done with um, good intellectual content, but also a pastor's heart. And I I think to summarize things, uh, the dysphoria or restlessness is a sure indication that the gospel of Christ is diminishing among us. So, Uh, We probably have some shared enthusiasm for Augustine. And in uh, Confessions, it's the first paragraph, Augustine wrote 
what is probably one of the most important sentences in Western thought outside Holy Scripture itself, when he says, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and we are not at rest until we find our rest in you. Um, so my analysis is that uh, the push for wokeness at my university has been the cause of troubling the consciences and lives of my students. There's a particular, I, I suppose, a particular emphasis, though, and that is um, we had and still have underway right now at my university the search for a new president. In the setup for our Concordias, which are, you know, it's the uh, usual name for all of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, universities, colleges, and seminaries, they all have Concordia in the name. Um, the purpose of the president is set out as being, first of all, the spiritual leader of the campus community. So here's what I noted in the published uh, requirements for the new president showing up from our board of regents being posted online. Um, they said that they were looking for several particular criteria in the new president. There are three of them that really stood out. One is, this is a quote, somebody who was supportive of diversity in all its myriad forms. Another quote was that they were looking for the next president to, president to be someone who believed in and had demonstrated commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equity, if you put the whole list together. Now, as we know, those are I'm going to call them mantras. Um, these are slogans that are spoken over and over and over again by people who intend to treat universities, including church universities, as social experiments. This signals the um, bringing in an incursion, if you will, of an alien politics in place of Christ. Um, the final overall piece is this. Um, in the Lutheran church, uh, something that that we love to share with our fellow Christians whenever we have the chance for conversation. And in my case, when I get to write books and articles and do lectures and things, um, we like to point out that Christianity fundamentally relies on what we call the means of grace. So I know that we'd have agreement over the Lutheran and evangelical divide that the means of grace certainly includes Holy Scripture itself. Scripture is the way by which God comes to us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We note in our confessional Lutheran approach to scripture that God also speaks in a similar way about holy baptism and about the Lord's Supper. So for us, the written text of the Bible, that is the word of God in, in all its particular forms, verbatim, that is a means of grace along with baptism and Lord's Supper. And that means of grace is plainly what is being shoved aside in purpose of the woke agenda. So the woke agenda seems to do um, whatever it's doing, uh, which I think is only harm, nothing good, uh, but whatever it's doing is actually supplanting the authoritative word of Christ for people's salvation and well-being in this life, this side of heaven too. Um, probably a person that you have talked about um, with your listeners in some of your podcasts is, for instance, Ibrahim Kendi. Hmm. Now, Ibrahim Kendi is a fairly outspoken liberation theology person. Um, your folks listening to us right now can uh, look him up on YouTube or online after a while. I think um, with the name Kendi, that will probably come up pretty easily. K-E-N-D-I, I think. Ibram Kendi. 
And uh, he is outspoken in saying that it's not only a bad idea, but it's wrong for the church to teach what he calls savior theology, to be looking to reach sinners with the salvation that comes only through Christ for this life and for the next. And he insists that that's evil. What must be done instead, he says, is that you have to teach liberation, or he calls it sometimes black liberation theology, in which we take the power of this world, political power, and seek to uh, address all sorts of privilege or all sorts of oppression uh, with worldly means. Ibrahim Kendi, alas, has been promoted and taught in a new institution, relatively new institution at my university called the Black Student Union. Uh, the only student union set up on the basis of a racial divide. Uh, and Kendi's work has been promoted there. This is just beyond the pale. Um, so the combination of uh, very questionable, even wrong things being taught by some professors here and there to my students, the drive for a woke president by the executive board, or at least the majority of our board of regents, and then um, I think what is kind of obviously a woke reaction to my pointing this out pastorally and intellectually by my um, interim administration to cancel me, um, that's the main thing. So the theological issue is the centerpiece. It just so happens I've been caught in the backwash of some of this too with my suspension. Um, so we can talk about the suspension if you want. I'm a little bit more interested, well, a lot more interested in talking about the theological problems uh, but whichever direction you'd like to lead, John, well, I'm glad to yeah, follow. Yeah, we can. Uh, I would like to spend more time on the theological problems. I think, though, uh, what a lot of Lutherans who might be listening are, what's going to attract them to to listening, what's going to gain the hearing is the situation itself, and and that because that is evidence for a shift that's going sure. on. So, how, yeah. if you don't mind, how did you get from you wrote an article to you're now locked out of your classroom? Right. Well, um, I guess in our woke society, nobody's going to be surprised to hear the, the, the rough outline of this. But so the article I just outlined and explained a bit was published on Tuesday. Um, then on, uh, I think, uh, Friday of that week, uh, it turned out that the interim president for the university was sending emails to me during my afternoon classes. Now, uh, along with everybody else at my university right now, kind of COVID and post-COVID, um, we in theology and philosophy have a pretty heavy teaching load. So I'm not looking for any pity here. I love the teaching. I, I happen to be teaching three classes Friday afternoon. And the president started um, apparently emailing me during my the first of the three classes I had, telling me I had to meet with him soon. Um, when I was in between classes, I was actually looking for a student that didn't show up on the Zoom link for a class. I thought something bad may have happened to her, just wanted to follow up. And I saw an email from the president that asked for this meeting. Uh, it looked kind of urgent. And I basically replied that I just couldn't attend because I was teaching all afternoon. I had uh, office hours for one of my periods. And then I usually have students asking for time after class, of course. So what I suggested to him in a real quick email of my own was that we could meet first thing Monday. I'd clear out my schedule in the morning when I didn't teach, that would be the next school day. And um, I also noticed that he had mentioned what sounded like there were going to be other people present for this meeting also. 
And I said, I'd also surmise it has to do with the article that was just published. Um, so I would also um, respectfully ask, but also insist that at least my department chair and faculty chair would be there with me in that Monday meeting. Um, so I was back to work after that, uh, a couple more classes, some student advising. And then um, ultimately when I did a quick check of things as I was ready to leave at 4.30, I was, I think there was an email there that, that indicated there was no excuse for not attending the meeting and so forth. Well, that was the end of the day. Um, so Saturday morning, before heading off for some of the youth sports with the grandkids, um, wanted to check in just to see how a few students were doing and found out that I was completely locked out of the university system. The email and uh, Panopto, you know, and uh, yeah. uh, every, the whole works. Uh, it took uh, until later in the day till I finally managed to get a hold of my department chair. Uh, we're also friends, so it wasn't hard to call him. Uh, but he told me he didn't know anything either, except that he had been told Friday afternoon that I was suspended and that he would have to fill all of my classes indefinitely. Um, over the weekend then, um, I'd like to think I'm not terribly naive, but um, over the weekend then, realizing that, that things were afoot, I applied to, we have a group here in Wisconsin, a rather fine group of lawyers called the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. I knew that they had defended a Marquette professor from being fired uh, by that, at the time, Catholic university uh, for free speech issues. And so I applied online and heard back almost right away that they were considering taking up my case. Quick fast forward here. It took until I think it was Monday or Tuesday of that following week before my lawyer now, the uh, Will, took on uh, my case pro bono, for which I'm very grateful. Um, they took this on, and it was only because my lawyer requested uh, the memorandum or the documentation of why I had been suspended that I even saw that. So I think it took till late Monday or Tuesday to get that. And uh, I've been on suspension since. Wow. Uh, so your schedule's more clear, I'm assuming. <laughs> Silver linings. But yeah, yeah. that's uh, thank you for being so detailed with that. That was. Uh, that's kind of shocking that you can publish something on Tuesday and by Friday without any discussion, you're locked out of your, your classes. What's the status now? I mean, is there any movement towards uh, a rectification of this at all? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. So I think the again, the very short version here, and feel free to ask more if you're interested, uh, but the because this involves a, uh, because I'm a pastor and because this is a church owned university. Um, that meant that a district president and then ultimately more of, of the um, leadership of the church body became involved. There was an effort to do something that's called the reconciliation process. Um, may I just say this was ill-founded from the start. Um, this reconciliation thing, it's probably going on at other churches and denominations too, I'm thinking, um, assumes that two parties in some sort of dispute are both at fault. This is not the sort of thing that you should be using to address a, an accusation of doctrinal malpractice, which is in effect what I'm alleging about the university. Um, so uh, let's, let's talk in terms of scripture passages for that. And I think this will be clear to your listeners. So 
in, in the normal hubbub of living our lives according to Christ, we know that um, when somebody sins against somebody else, we should think about Matthew 18, right? We should think about talking with your brother. If you win him back, that's a good thing. If not, take along two or three and so forth. But when you have um, the case, as St. Paul says, when he's writing to Timothy, of an elder who sins publicly, and I would take that to be that's what's going on with the administration, and that's what's going on with at least the majority of our board of regents, this, um, um, I call it educational heresy of wokeism, is a very serious um, doctrinal matter. I mean, it's about as serious as it gets, I think. Um, the, the pertinent passage then would be from 1 Timothy 5, if an elder sins publicly, he should be rebuked publicly. And so um, <laughs> I, I, it's a little hard to find humor in all of this, but here's, here's a bit. So in the, in the memorandum explaining why I've been suspended and threatened with termination if I don't do what I'm told, um, that memorandum actually says, that I need to, quote, recant, end quote, of the article that I published about woke dysphoria at Concordia. Now, I'm thinking that this is a little, little bit more pan-Christian, right? But certainly yeah. I can report that for a Lutheran pastor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So this is making it sound like the diet it warms, which I think it may be. <laughs> I, I, I think it may be. Um, so, you know, Luther said, um, unless I'm shown on the basis of clear scripture, I cannot and will not recant. And that's, of course, my response. I've, I've submitted this publicly so that other pastors and theologians, of which there aren't any in the administration, really, um, that they're welcome to correct me according to scripture. And I've uh, put the article out there. I've put myself out there in various interviews like this. And I, I remain willing to talk. But I don't think that's going to be forthcoming because I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think I'm being unscriptural at all. I think this wokeism is an attack on Christ and the gospel. Um, so just one more mention. Um, you almost want to, to hold up a crucifix when you say it, but one more reference to Kendi. Um, if your listeners do look him up online, it's quite likely they'll find the three-minute YouTube video where Kendi is standing or sitting rather in the front of a church. It appears to be a church, though there's no altar or anything there. And on the wall are the words of Matthew 28, engraved on the wall, it appears, where Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And Kendi, all the while, is saying, we do not want to have a theology that teaches about a savior. We want to have a liberation theology, you see. Yeah, the irony. Uh, it's interesting. The, this is happening in every denomination, it seems. And uh, Kendi's book was actually promoted from the stage of one of the guys running for president, uh, pre the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention this year, Willie Rice. So when you said that, I, I immediately thought, well, yeah, that's that's the same ideology that is infiltrating just about everywhere. And, uh, and not just him, uh, but so many others. And, and so I, I want to ask you, um, you, you made a serious charge here. This is against Christ. It's against the gospel. I, I want you to flesh yeah. that out. But I also want to ask you first about what, the reason you're going on podcasts like myself. And I mean, I invited you, but you know, you accepted and that's really rare. I can think of, I can count it on one hand, right? 
the amount of the, the professors I know from evangelical and Christian institutions that have been had the guts to actually talk about what's actually going on. In my experience, it's been a lot of professors who are upset about the changes. They complain about it in private, but they're never going to challenge their administration. And it's been a, I'll be just quite honest with you on a personal level. It's been very frustrating for me um, seeing men that, that I respect sometimes even, uh, but then they, they fall in line when the administration wants to go in, in sometimes horrific directions. Why did you decide you, you're going to be different and you're going to have the bravery to talk about this? What, what are you hoping to accomplish by that? Well, let's see, John, first, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the notion of bravery or of, or of deciding to be brave. So um, I'm a professor. And th then the question is, you know, if you're a professor, what exactly do you profess? Now, I, I do have qualifications in theology. I, I teach theology stuff regularly at one of our seminaries for their PhD program. Um, but I'm teaching mostly philosophy. And um, I don't see how, how I can teach what I do and not profess the truth of Christ as clearly and as frequently as possible. So uh, let me just jump back to a pagan example, surprise for a second, and then come back into uh, our Lord's church, right? So the pagan example is Socrates. Um, one of my friends with whom I have a, this is Brian Wolf Miller down from Austin, Texas. Um, one of my friends that that uh, where he and I have been doing a number of podcasts together uh, to get the word out about some of the other work that I'm doing. Um, we, we were just talking and we were taking the chance to, you know, share prayers for each other. And I said, Brian, you'll never guess what I was teaching when I was yanked out of the classroom. And he said, Oh, well, I don't know. I was teaching Socrates trial. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we had spent, um, I think it was three valuable class days in this core course on Western thought and worldview. And I had, we had just gone pretty much verbatim through the accusations against Socrates. And we admired Socrates' integrity in saying that, that the city would have to kill him because he was not going to stop teaching the young people to pursue the truth, Right. And then I had, had talked about a couple examples of outspoken Christians from the 20th century. Um, I think very highly, not of his theology, may I say, but of his uh, civic leadership when I look at Dr. Martin Luther King's writings on natural law and civil disobedience. So I, I use him as an example for natural law. May I say again, not, not for his Christology or anything. Sure. Uh, but I, I do... Um, admired Dietrich Bonhoeffer a great deal from the horror of the Nazis during World War II, a Lutheran pastor who paid with his life for looking after his Jewish neighbors and not stopping preaching Christ. Uh, so I just talked about them in class. And then the next day, I'm not there. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it's, I, I want to say it's just what we do. I also am, am I hope not putting on airs but straightforwardly, um, so I'm not a not a young professor. Uh, my wife and I are in, uh, you know, in our our. 
we banned the term in our household, but our mature years, we, we weren't going to use that M word anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the kids are, are well on their way and the grandkids are, are well on their way. And we're, you know, in that situation, I've also been in the ministry just about 40 years. My 40th anniversary is coming up this summer. Um, so I want to say this is just what I was trained for. I think the, the people in the seminaries and the church bodies that gave me the background that I'm blessed to have um, would be right to expect me to stand up. And most of all, most of all, um, you and I know what, what our Lord has done for us. And we remember along with all of that, that grace alone gift of salvation. We remember how he has said um, all of the, all of the terrible things that ought to happen to anybody who causes one of these little ones who believe in him to stumble. Um, this is, this is the line. Uh, you can talk, as far as I'm concerned, you can talk until you're blue in the face about this stuff at some upper tier university. Uh, you can write papers about it if you want to. Uh, but if you're going to be teaching the next generation um, this sort of nonsense um, and, and be deleting Christ in order to do that, uh, this cannot continue. So when you were talking about things in in uh, the seminary that you're familiar with, or when I'm thinking about the presidential search at my place, um, I say, Lord, have mercy. And then um, I say, Lord, what do you want me to do to forestall this? What What's my place on the line? And we all feel that way, don't we? Um, I'd like to think that, that um, more people are going to take their place at the line. This really, uh, I've characterized it this way in print too. This is Thermopylae for my uh, university. And my university happens to be the major university for our entire Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If we're not willing to stand the line against this social injustice and woke nonsense uh, and champion Christ and his word among us, I suppose we don't deserve to continue. But I still would say, what about the young people? What about my students? And uh, by the way, um, have you noticed this among your friends? I have a lot of former students and friends and, by the way, family who have gone to homeschooling because yeah. they know they can't trust their kids to Caesar in the classroom. Uh, and what about these folks who are counting on us at least to hold the line in our Christian colleges and universities so that their sons and daughters, whom they've kept safe and brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, will have a place of higher education to go to where their faith will be cultivated, not squelched. Hmm. Uh, those, that is a worthy cause and uh, well stated. Um, what about this issue, uh, the theological issues, which I know you've been wanting to get to? Um, yeah. You, you call this an attack on Christ and the gospel. That's a strong charge. So would you just flesh that out? What do you mean by that? Well, sure. So uh, this may be the last time I do this. Um, I know we were talking about being sure that this was a conversation that folks in the pew, ranks and rank and file people could feel a part of. So I'm just going to mention that Kendi business once more. You would, most of us sitting in church on Sunday would not like to think that this sort of stuff is going on, or we'd like to say it's pretty fringe stuff. Maybe it happens at uh, Harvard or Yale, but not at our Christian institutions. Uh, but this is exactly what's going on. So when Kendi is saying uh, we promote liberation theology and we call evil savior theology, that is the supplanting of Christ. Uh, 
Um, it's, it's certainly also the case then that um, at a university that supports the teaching of somebody like Kendi, um, bad things are going on. And if you add to that, that we're in this transition to a new president and the majority, the executive committee, whatever of the board of regents is pushing for a woke president, um, this is counter the gospel. This is um, not just mission drift. This is an abandoning of the mission at the particular time when, now I talked about my students and I talked about students coming up from the church, but we've got obligations here to our larger culture as well, don't we, with our Christian institutions. Uh, we are to be offering the alternative, which is uh, actually Christ and the creator on whom, let's not miss this, on whom the founding proposition of the United States of America rests. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And we notice, we notice that equity is a supplantation of God in that article of the declaration. So we are letting people down right and left inside the church and outside the church by this kind of move. But um, it, it's just untenable. How can you have a Lutheran institution, I would say, or how can you have a Christian institution that does not put Christ's and his authority and his word first and foremost in everything they're teaching and, and every student group that they have, and for goodness sakes, uh, better be first and foremost in the heart and mind of the institutional leadership as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, this is uh, a book I wrote not too long ago about Christianity and social justice, which is kind of riffing off of J. Gresham Machen's Christianity and liberalism. Yes. And my whole argument is that this is a religion. This isn't a political movement alone. Uh, and it does subvert uh, Christian understanding of revelation with standpoint epistemology and uh, the metaphysics uh, flatten everything into oppressor or oppressed. And, and of course, there's uh, the overturning of Christian ethics, the uh, supplantation of the gospel with this gospel of, of equity, inclusion, diversity. Uh, the, the thing I wanted to ask you, though, and, and so, so Kendi is an obvious, right? Kendi, we can look at and be like, okay, this guy's obvious. What about um, people who are more well-meaning, let's say, uh, and they, they know how to speak the language of Lutherans. And perhaps it could even be a pastor in a Lutheran church or a Sunday school teacher, someone like that. And they're not going to go as far as what Kendi said, but they are going to use language like equity, inclusion, diversity. They are going to uh, have a quota in mind that would be true justice uh, for you know a theological library or I, I, an el elder board. I'm not sure exactly how it works in Lutheranism, but you yeah. know, the leadership there, um, or they they just you know think because of historical discrimination, we need to do something now to uh, rectify situations or or uh, make up for things that have happened in the past. And it sounds so good, I think, to people in the pew at first. It seems very innocent. What would you say? Um, and maybe you have examples in your mind, I don't know, but to, to someone who he wouldn't go as far as what Kendi said, uh, but they, they're they trending that direction. Sure. Well, I have a couple things to say. Um, the first is that um, I think I'd like to offer a word to the parish pastors and the folks in the congregations out there 
Uh, I am surely not the only one, but uh, I, I guess I'll pull rank a little bit. I think I know what I'm talking about. I've got degrees to indicate that I've looked at things pretty carefully and uh, decades of teaching. You can check with uh, my students and everybody. Um, you are not fooling any of us. I'd like to say to those people out there who are doing this, uh, we are fully aware that the only reason that, that you're getting away with this or feel you can get away with it is because you don't think that the rest of us are looking. We are looking. We are reading our Bibles. I, I realize that this whole business is catching the church, I think at, by and large, in a period of illiteracy. I think um, many places that I go, I find that people who know they should be reading their Bibles have not been reading their Bibles faithfully for quite a while. I'm also aware that there are a lot of pastors who are not reading their Bibles except to check out necessary proof passages and so forth. Um, and I, I, I teach about that. Uh, but here's the thing. I think your folks, regardless of denominations, can look at that paper that I wrote. It's posted on Christian News still. And see for yourself. Just compare the passages with what I'm noting about what's going on with um, the die business, the diversity, the inclusion, and the equity stuff. And, and just begin to see for yourself. The second thing is let's talk some very definite scripture, shall we? So uh, Colossians. Colossians happens to be the book that we made kind of our official book for teaching that course I mentioned before. So our philosophy department owns this core course on Western thought and worldview. And we insist that our students uh, read the entire book of Paul's letter to the Colossians a few times during the semester. There's a major essay on it. Colossians 2, verses 8 and 9, right? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Now, um, I, I would just hand that to every one of your listeners to use that as the litmus test for what a pastor or a board of elders or somebody next to you in the pew is trying to pull. Now, what St. Paul is doing there is he's quite plainly saying, there is good philosophy and there is bad philosophy. The bad philosophy, which takes people captive, is hollow and deceptive. And you can tell it because it's based on human tradition, only what people are coming up with, and the stoikia, that's his Greek word, the ABCs of this world. That's what we're seeing in wokeism. There's nothing good about it, nothing noble about it, nothing intelligible about it, uh, but it certainly is a merely human invention, and it, it's just based on stuff that anybody should, well, worldly stuff, not on Christ, not on Christ, who is God and man in one person. Now, here's one other thing. The word philosophy, even though our philosophy department is using that book for our introductory classes, Philosophy in ancient as in medieval times does not mean just a department at a university. It means all learning, right? So philosophy has the original meaning there, which we would call today higher learning, I suppose, but we would also call education generally. So any education 
that is not based on Christ, who is God in the flesh, as a matter of fact, is hollow and deceptive, and it does not deserve our time or our support. It should not be brought inside the church because it's anti-church, and it has no place, I would say, at any university, but certainly no place at a university dedicated to Christ. Um, now, that's the, really important. Yeah, and that's great to, to bring scripture into it and a good scripture for us to memorize on this. Uh, one of the objections I've heard to this, uh, and, and I just want to prepare the listeners out there who might hear this, is that critical race theory or any of these iterations of social justice, they're, they're very much like, you know, the Pythagorean theorem or, you know, some mathematical or, uh, you know, you were teaching um, on uh, Platonic thought. So, you know, it's like bringing Platonic thought in. I mean, there's some truth we can glean from this. All truth is God's truth. We can plunder the, Egypt, the, the Egyptians and bring in their stuff and, if it's valuable. What would you say to that objection? Yeah, I don't see any truth in CRT at all. So um, I teach philosophy, so you would have a right to expect me being able to track through the genesis of ideas and then explain what's going on. So I, I know you didn't sign on for a philosophy class this afternoon, so we won't do that, but I'll just make a quick allusion here. So um, critical race theory is based on mythology. It's not actually based on anything historical or anything true, anything scientifically verifiable. It's based on mythology. This traces back in Western thought about two centuries to the time of Hegel. Now, during the European Enlightenment, Kant's time, you know, about a little bit before 1800, we know that the Enlightenment project, this is the European Enlightenment, was to get God out of everything. After Kant, Hegel comes on the scene, and um, Hegel's monumentally complex and ambitious philosophy turns out to be based, as uh, J. Glenn Gray, a, a very important commentator in him says, based on mythology. So Hegel, uh, as a matter of fact, picks up familiar biblical terminology, words like spirit and Holy Ghost and so forth, and he refashions those to talk about merely human stuff. Hegel is the prime example in modernity of somebody who does things according to human tradition and the ABCs of this world only. He hands that on, and Marx, if there's anything original in Marx except for his violence, um, it, it's the way he relabels Hegel to have not a clash of ideas or worldviews, but to have the clash of classes in society. Now consider this. In wokeism or social justice, there is a very careful leaving out of two ways to approach human beings. The individual is utterly ignored, and humanity as the human race is utterly discounted. But in between, in between, the groups that are set against each other, just like Marx did it with the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, you know, the workers and the, the owners, um, what's set in the middle there are fictional groups, racial groups, sexual identity groups, groups that have nothing to do with the infinite worth of the individual as established by Jesus in his death on the cross for all or his incarnation, 
And speaking of his incarnation, that's the main race identifier, isn't it? God did not take on a spirit to save the angels. He did not uh, take on attributes of any of his other creation. He took on human flesh and blood and soul to save us. It's, it's very noteworthy that the categories of scripture, the individual and the race, right? The human race, those are utterly ignored by Harvard and everybody else toying around with this. And in between is a bunch of mythology made up little groups. It's happening today in the news, isn't it? As we're uh, doing this interview, the president of the United States is expressing his support for therapy and for surgical alteration of underage children who don't think they are the sex that they are biologically. Hmm. This is, this is mythology to put it mildly. Um, it, it, it is, um, people are describing it as madness, but I think it's about time we use the right term. It's demonic. Uh, this is exactly the rage that you would expect from Satan against God's good and redeemed creation. Um, that's what's going on here. And as I say, it's uh, not based on history. It's based on Marxist mythology. So at the bottom of this whole movement is a, an assumption that, uh, or, or a foundation that is, it only exists within the minds of those, of the architects of it then. It doesn't it actually uh, correspond to the real world. Is that what I hear you saying? Well, yeah. Now, so if you haven't figured this out from my talking so far, John, I am, I am a, a little bit of a contrarian by training. My wife thinks <laughs> it's by personality, but I, I don't like to give ground. And I'm not going to do it on this issue. I don't think there is any foundation for wokeism or social justice. There is an appetite for anarchy, but there is no foundation. There's no rational foundation. There's no emotional foundation. There's nothing but manipulation and chaos. And, and that's why I say it's of demonic character. The opposition to God's good creation and to God himself as the creator would be chaos, right? It's yeah. eternal revolution. That's, that would describe Satan, right? For all the fact that he's utterly defeated by Calvary already, uh, he still does not give up. And, and uh, I read a definition of uh, demonic a while ago. I think it was in a January 1st Things article. Um, where the author, I'm sorry, I can't remember his or her name, where the author said, well, if you can see something that bears all the marks of the work of Satan, but you can't identify what it's based on or where it's coming from, that's when you need to use the word demonic. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's exactly what we're looking at. How, how can anybody, anybody of goodwill or human compassion, deny that with that declaration of the White House today, that, the, that we are not living uh, under the influence of demonic worldviews and, and demonic engines. Um, this is just appalling, but we are not defenseless. Um, we have Christ and his word. So my objection is to the substituting of this alien demonic worldview and anti-theology, the substitution of that for the clear, saving, loving, healing word of God. Um, this must not happen. It must not be allowed to take place, certainly in the church.
Amen. That was well stated. And uh, that's, uh, and I will concede your <laughs> lack of concession. Uh, yeah, of the term foundation. No, and, and then that, excuse me, that also, that also follows then. I didn't say it directly, but there can be no compromise. Um, what does light have in common with darkness? Right. right. Uh, and an interesting spot that um, your viewers might find to read is actually to look at Dietrich Bonhoeffer's unfinished book, Ethics. Unfinished because he was too busy living out his love and obedience to Christ, and he was martyred by the Nazis, so he couldn't finish this book. Uh, but he actually says in there that um, when Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, that the Lord is speaking especially to Christians during time of persecution and societal or cultural collapse. If we will not speak for Christ in these times, it is quite plain that we are not for Christ. Now, as long as we have breath and the word of God is available to us, that's a call for repentance. But if you will not have Christ, get out of the way, I say. You have no business being in a pulpit or a Christian classroom or a university like mine. We want you to repent, but if you won't, it's quite late. Get out of the way. We have a gospel to bring. We have comfort. We have the rest himself in the person of Jesus to bring to uh, suffering souls in the whole world. We've got work to do. Stop distracting. I'd like to hear uh, just only a few moments. We don't have to spend a lot on it, but just your assessment in general for Lutherans who might be listening or watching on the Missouri Synod. And I'm very unfamiliar with this. Uh, yeah. We did talk to David uh, Ramirez a little bit about this a few weeks ago, but uh, you know, you're in classrooms, you're seeing what's happening on that level, especially and the young people who are coming in. I mean, are they affected by this? Do you see changes uh, as a result of the social justice movement? Well, thanks. So um, in a sense, the jury is out on our situation right now, church-wise. So um, in something that I know David and I and, and quite a few of my brother pastors are very happy about, uh, the president of our church body actually determined to visit Concordia University, Wisconsin, with an investigation team to interview and to check out um, everything you and I have been talking about here. And they were on campus for three days last week. Um, so they have also, um, I understand, either are visiting or have decided to visit Concordia University in Ann Arbor, which is tightly affiliated with my university in Mequon, Wisconsin, uh, where similar things are going on. And um, I understand, too, that they also are planning to visit uh, Concordia in Austin, Texas, whose board has recently determined that they're going to try to cut ties with the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So our leadership, wow. uh, bless them, our leadership, it remains to be seen what they're going to be done, of course. We're praying mightily for them, and we're not putting all our eggs in their basket. This is a, uh, I'm going to say this is a populist movement, too, mm. um, as you may have gathered from online. Yeah. But um, I think it is a great thing, and, and we wish uh, President Harrison and those folks Godspeed in that work. So they're doing something about it. Our Concordia University system, which has oversight of all the Concordias, has uh, provided leaders for that uh, visiting team as well. And I understand that they are just as concerned and as involved as, as can possibly be right now. So that's a good thing. 
Um, so that that's a, just a kind of a quick um, temperature check of our church right now, I think. What can people in the pews do if they're concerned about this? What do you suggest? Yeah, thanks. So um, it's a little hard to say something like contact the administration at my university. <laughs> I, I, I know yeah, that. Yeah, I can see that being awkward. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that thousands of people have. I've, I've been copied on and you know, there, there's wow. uh, information for this, uh, but it is the character of woke leadership, which probably shouldn't be called leadership in my view, but let's go ahead anyhow. It's the characteristic of woke leadership not to enter into conversation. There are not, there are not actually very many replies to those of us who raise these issues that are ever made. I okay. spent the better part of six months trying to talk with our board of regents offering to take people out for a working lunch or common debate or, you know, whatever, and not even an acknowledgement, you know, to my various open letters. Um, so, so that's, that's difficult. Let's not neglect prayer. Um, but I also think it's a time for us in our Lutheran congregations to talk with our pastors and our leaders of various groups. So for instance, uh, I've been, encouraging our homeschool parents. I think it's especially the homeschool moms, but I don't want to leave the dads out. Um, for reasons I mentioned before, I think they should uh, deluge the university with their expectation that this is going to get cleaned up or they're never going to see their kids. Yeah, that's you know, excellent. And, and then we've got alumni who are, are um, putting their names on the line, being willing to explain what they've seen going on to um, but people in the congregations have to take an interest in this. Um, and I, I suggested before, it's actually not just an in-house matter, though it is that. But we have responsibilities in our civilization, such as it is right now. And uh, if, if we Lutherans, who have seen ourselves as mostly responsible for education since the Reformation, that's a big thing for us, uh, if, if we are not going to step up to the plate right here and now, or to mix my metaphors, if we're not going to take our place on the line at Thermopylae against this woke uh, foolishness and harm, um, I think we'll have to account to the Lord for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, these have been sobering words and important words, and I want people to continue to follow you. Um, and you were mentioning before, this isn't even the topic you're the the most passionate about or or the the most uh yeah. your most of your work has been on the problem of suffering but um if people want to find out more about uh your work they can go to lutheran uh philosopher.com lutheran philosopher.com and i'll put some of these links in the info section if you're listening um is there a way to contact you there at all or thanks know. john um well i don't know how much i can manage this faithfully by myself but um okay I think lutheranphilosopher.com may be the best place to check. And also if folks want to do just a little bit of searching, um, if you don't mind my mentioning another podcaster, um, Brian Wolfmiller, that's Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, has a YouTube channel. He and I have had regular conversations about the need to teach people how to suffer and die in Christ uh, with his word, his Psalms of Lament. Um, you can kind of catch up to me there. And um Issues Etc. is a, a fairly official voice for our church body. I've been up on there and you can get in contact with me through them too. Okay. So maybe that'll help. 
Excellent. All right. Well, go to the info section if you want more on uh, Professor Schultz and what he's been up to and to get updates and all of that. Um, let's pray. Let's pray for Professor Schultz. Let's pr- pray for the Missouri Synod and then just for the church at large and not neglect that. And I think what you said earlier about knowing our Bibles is 100% true. I've been thinking about this quite a bit myself, especially in reading through scripture and, and just none of, you know, I had the thought none of this would would ever take root if people just were in the word. It, it, it's so such a different uh, understanding of reality you have when you read the word of God as opposed to the social justice movement. So um, anyway, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this, taking uh, some of your valuable time and giving it to us. Uh, God bless you. And thank you once again. Oh, well, John, it's been a blessing to me too. Thanks so much for the interest and, um, you know, may our Lord be with all of us and, uh, taking that word very seriously is mission critical right now. So let's all be praying that our Lord's name be hallowed and his kingdom come among us. All right. Well, God bless. Thanks, John. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.